And the title of this morning's message is The Dive Experience. Luke chapter number 7 verse 36 says this, And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And this is talking about Jesus. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with, her, with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with ointment. And now when the Pharisee who had invited, this, invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would, know, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, I have something to say to you. A certain money lender had two debtors. One he owed 500 denarii and another 50. And when he could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them would love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, who canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet, her feet, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell, you, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Heavenly Father, I pray today that we would realize the difference in being in your presence and having an experience with you this morning. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be in your presence, but we would be changed by your presence in our lives. Lord, I pray that us who are in this room, whose sins are just like that woman, whose sins are many, we would come in faith, and we would kneel down before you, and Lord God, you would say to us, today your sins are forgiven. Go, for your faith has saved you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. I am so absolutely 100% pumped about this message. I love the story of this woman, and I love the, the encounter that takes place here. And as we begin this message this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about why we're doing this dive series. We're doing a series called Dive because we want to go below the surface. We want to go deeper than we've ever gone. We want to go deeper in the scriptures than we normally just read at face value. And why we must dive is there's more to the Bible than meets the eye. There's more to the Bible than, than just what's on the surface. We've got to go under the surface to find it. Also, the environment above the water is different below, than the environment below the water if you ever go scuba diving. Because when you're above the water, you breathe like me and you are breathing now. If you're below the water, you need all this gear that you have right over here. And it's just like that in the environments that Jesus was in versus the environment that we are in in 2014 here in America. They're two completely different environments. And so to understand what Jesus is really saying, we must go into his environment to understand the fullness of the scripture and then seeing things will help you obtain knowledge but experiencing them will change your life i love that you love to read the bible i love that you love to pray i love that you love to sing songs to the lord our god but i don't just want you reading and praying and singing songs i want you to have an experience in the midst of all that 
I want you to approach the throne of grace by faith to have an experience with the Lord your God. And so as we begin this morning, I entitled this message, The Dive Experience, because two people can go to the same dive site, and one can have the experience of a lifetime while the other goes home the same, and we can say the same in church. Several people can come to church, and several people can have the experience of a lifetime, and the others can just go home. Never experiencing a change. Have you ever heard that before in your life? I've seen it all the time. It's like some people come in and have the experience of a lifetime. Life-changing encounter with Almighty God and others just go home with no change. Well, the desire here at the church is that we have a life-changing encounter with God. And so the story takes place as we set the scene. And the Bible says in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. So This is a a flip of the script. Normally we get Jesus accused of eating with sinners and tax collectors. And this time he's going to eat with the religious people. He's going to eat with the Pharisee. And not just any Pharisee. He's going to eat with a certain Pharisee named Simon. And as he's going to eat at Simon's house, you'll read as you read farther in the account, you'll realize that there are others there with him. Because at the end of the story it says, they began to talk amongst themselves. Who is this that can forgive sins? And they begin to discuss that fact. And so as they're at a man named Simon's house who's a Pharisee, and I do believe he would have been a a lead Pharisee, not just somebody who's a a commoner among the group. I believe he must have been a leader of the group. Jesus takes the invite and goes to have an experience with Simon at his house. Now, a lot of Christians say the same thing. Oh, I just wish Jesus would just come and walk with me, and I could see him, and he could eat with me and have a conversation with me. Well, you can, (laughs) Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. Jesus isn't gone, we know right where he's at. He should be alive, living on the inside of you. So if you ever want to eat lunch with Jesus, just cancel all your plans and say, me and Jesus are having lunch. Because he's there. Well, the Pharisee wanted that and he began to ask Jesus to come to his house. But the plot of the Pharisee is quickly seen in this scripture. And as you entered somebody's house in the time of Jesus, this is how you would enter enter a home When you would enter a home in Jesus' time, as you walked in the door, there would have been a slave to greet you at the door. And as you walked in, you would kick your sandals off and you would set them aside and the slave would begin to wash your feet because they were walking up and down dirty, dusty roads that have uh, donkeys and camels and everything else uh, going up and down the roads. And animals do what animals do, wherever animals want to do it, (laughs) right? Everybody say, okay, I'm with you. I understand what you're talking about. And so you're stepping around and over and and beside, but eventually after a while, all the junk just begins to penetrate and get all over you. So when you would walk into somebody's house, you would stand there and a slave would wash your feet. At very least, they would have a basin there filled with water and a towel where you could reach down and wipe your own feet off and clean up a little bit or freshen up. All the ladies understand that term. You want to freshen up a little bit before you go into somebody's house. And so that would have been there. And so they get there and Jesus walks in. And that should have been the custom. You would also receive oil to put on your face and your forehead to freshen up. Because after all day long and you would wipe your face off with the water, they would give oil, olive oil for your face. And you would freshen up and you would get the, the moisture and the glow back in. And you would look, you'd look very presentable before the people you're coming to. Sometimes the oil would be, have a fragrance mixed with it. So it would cover the smell of walking in the Middle East during the daytime hours. And 
I would sweat like nobody's business, and so you would want to be fresher than that, and so they would give him oil, and then as you would get freshened up and you would walk in, the guest of honor that would walk in, the main owner of the house would come in, and they would greet them with a kiss. They would kiss, kiss them on their cheek, and so the men, as they would walk in, if they had a spouse that would have been behind them, the men would greet the men with a kiss, and Paul even talks about this later in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 16, 20, the Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And so as you greet one another with a holy kiss, I'm going to preface some things this morning. (laughs) Men don't go kissing on somebody else's wife because that wasn't their custom. (laughs) The men didn't kiss the women. That didn't happen. The men would greet the men with a holy kiss, and the ladies might do likewise if the ladies were even in the same room with the men. I I was... uh, talking to a pastor a few years back and there was a man who took this literally in a handshake time he'd go around and he would greet all the women with a holy kiss and it made a lot of the women feel uncomfortable and all the women said amen rightly so so that's why i bring that point up to clarify because you can think you're being bible but be very well off and if you go kissing on somebody else's wife in church we may have to call security the ushers because we just don't want to have a throwdown in the middle of the aisle amen and so that was the custom as you would walk into somebody's house you would greet one another with a kiss, and the Bible says as they walked in, Jesus would sit down and says, Jesus was reclining at the table, and this is not like a dinner table like we have in America, that's this, about this tall, and you would pull up a chair and sit under it where your feet would be hidden. In fact, it would have been a very low table about that tall. Usually it's like a big concrete block, like a huge size, oversized brick that would have been, I would guess if, if it was a, a huge room like this, it would have probably been about four feet by two feet, and people would gather around, and they would set cushions around, and so as they would sit down, if they didn't sit down with their legs crossed, their feet would be exposed and if you didn't wash your feet you would just have all the junk of the feet at the dinner table and it's kind of like telling your kids wash your hands before you eat right and so it's the same principle so Jesus was reclining at the table and his feet would have been exposed and as he was sitting at this table with at least one religious person Simon and others that are prominent in the house the Bible says a woman of the city walks in now everybody say woman of the city Do I need to clarify what woman of the city means? I'll say it like this, woman of Las Vegas, okay? A woman of the city walks in, and and I'll clarify what I mean by that. It says, a woman of the city, city, and the very next thing it says, who was a sinner. (laughs) Do I have to explain her profession anymore? Do, Do we get where we're going here? So the Bible says that Jesus is sitting at a table, reclining back. His feet are exposed, and and. And, and they're all fellowshiping around the table. And a woman of the city walks in the most prominent religious leader's house of the time. And this is where the account begins. This is where the dive experience actually begins. Now remember, we got two experiences going on. We got the one where, where two people can have, go to the same place but have two different experiences. Remember last week we talked about the Pharisee entry, how the Pharisees entered into the presence of Jesus Christ in the message, the entry. You can get it out on CD or it's on iTunes. You can load it off the website. There's a million ways to get our messages now. And so as, um, as this is taking place, I want to recap what the, 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 the Pharisee entry was last week. And the Pharisee entry was this. Religion says we are worthy. Religion talks about how much we love and boasts about how much we've done. Many Christians enter the presence of Jesus like this. We enter the presence of Jesus not humbly, not like the centurion like we talked about in ministry moment, not like the centurion that says, Lord, and you kneel down and you do, Lord. You don't just say, Lord, but you kneel down and declare, Lord, and his authority, and you come under his authority. Many Christians enter the presence of God very much like you're the master and Jesus is the slave. 
And we come running to the altar and we say, Jesus, do this, and oh God, do this, and oh God, help me with this, and oh God, because I've lived right, I've done good this week, I've worked so hard, God, I haven't been mad at my husband or my wife, God, I've been patient, I've been this, I've been that, I, 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 I just messed up. Because when you come in the presence of God, it should not be about I, 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 it should be about him, him, and more of him, amen? A lot of people miss the entry point of an experience with God and therefore never get an experience because when you come into the presence of Christ, we must enter the presence of Christ differently than we ever have. We must not declare how good we are, but how good he is. We must not declare how worthy we are to be in his presence, but how worthy he is and we are grateful to be in his presence. We must not begin to declare how much great things we've done, but we must begin to declare the good works that Christ did on the cross of Calvary for us so we can be forgiven, washed in the blood of the Lamb to enter in the presence of holy and almighty God. And so Simon, a typical Pharisee, enters in the Pharisee way not the centurion way like we talked about last week. And so as Simon enters the Pharisee way, we pick up in verse 39, and it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, the woman who was weeping at his feet, he said, If this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this was who is touching him, for she is, everybody say, a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, Say it, teacher. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you just sense the arrogance? Did, did, did you catch the key part of that scripture though? The Bible says this, and Simon said to who? Himself. Simon was talking to himself. He didn't necessarily say it out loud. It's just like when I'm preaching up here, I can sense when I say something, everybody goes, ooh, <laughs> right? Jesus is sitting there reclining at the table. This woman comes in, starts weeping, starts washing his feet with her hair, anointed with ointment, and Simon's sitting there, and Simon says to himself, if Jesus were really a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this was. So Jesus proves he's a prophet by saying, Simon, I got something for you. I can just imagine Simon's like, well, say it. The problem, and many times the issue in the church, is the very same issue that Simon had. Many of us miss a deep dive experience with Christ because of what we're saying to ourselves, by what we're saying to ourselves in the midst of a message, by what we're saying to ourselves in the midst of worship, by what we're saying to ourselves in the midst of any scenario. Simon is so concerned with who, he, with who she is because of who he is, he missed the experience. Now I'm going to say that again. Simon is so concerned with who she is, a sinner, because who he is, a religious, pharisaical man, he missed an experience. Many times we're so concerned about who she is because of who we are, we miss an experience with Christ. Or we're so concerned about this person over here and what they're not wearing or how they didn't dress appropriate or this person over here of how they didn't act just right or how bad they can't really sing. And so we miss an experience with Christ because we're so concerned about who this person is because who we think we are, we miss it. And Jesus interprets Simon's thought process. He understands what Simon's thinking, so he calls him out. It says, Simon, I'm going to tell you a story. There are two people, and they both have big debts. One is, they're both forgiven all their debts. Which one loves more? And Simon, being a religious man, very astute in the Scripture, says, well, Jesus, that's easy. It'd be the person who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus, Simon did not realize what Jesus was doing. Simon did not realize that Jesus was bringing him to the place of elementary education, even though he was in a position of prominence. My great concern is that we're so busy talking about ourselves, or talking to ourselves about us, 
and everyone else that we miss the broken person sitting in the chair next to us. My big concern with me, Joel T. Meyer, is that I'm so concerned talking to myself about what I think needs to be different, about what I think needs to change, about is my message really good enough, is my message really prepared enough, is my, is my, is my, is my, that am I guilty of being so concerned about me and who I am that I'm really missing the broken people around me that don't really care about if I'm grammatically correct or not. They don't really care about how seminary educated I am. They don't really care about how great my, my words come together and how good one point flows to the next point that flows to the next point. They're not really concerned about all that. All that they know is that they're broken, but I'm so concerned with me and talking to myself, I miss the brokenness all around me. You know, I, I look at myself on a Sunday morning and I find myself guilty, Heath, a lot of times. Being guilty of the very thing Simon's guilty of. He was so concerned about who she is because of who he is that he missed an experience with God when he should have been concerned about the broken woman, the woman of the city who was a sinner who walked in crying out for a touch from a Savior. She missed it. He missed it. I'm guilty of missing it a lot of times. I'm guilty of missing it a lot of times. And I'll, and I'll tell you just flat out honestly this morning, uh, I, I gave my message to, to Mitch and Jeff on Tuesday afternoon, and we were talking about it a little bit Wednesday morning, and, and, and Mitch looked at me and said, dude, your message, I said, dude, don't even talk to me about it. I've been repenting ever since I wrote it. And he said, I know. And I said, so I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm, I'm still repenting. I'm still trying to get it right because I've missed it so bad at times in my life. And I'm so concerned about me and talking to myself about what I think I should be doing or how great I think things should be or what's not wrong or what is wrong or what isn't wrong or what we did good or what we didn't do good that I miss the broken people all around me who need a touch from God Almighty. Oh, God, forgive us if we become so worldly perfect on putting on a great worship service that we miss the broken people around us and miss the cause of church altogether. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And so Jesus begins to explain the, the story of the moneylender. So the question is this that Jesus gave to Simon. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Jesus is asking us the same thing. Do you see this woman? Because if you agree that you see this woman, it means you're guilty of being a Simon yourself. Because by realizing you see this woman, you're saying, I'm Simon. But here's the thing. Most of us are Simon anyway because a lot of us are sitting here thinking, well, Simon, how could you actually be like that? By judging Simon, you're now becoming Simon because Simon was judging her. Do you understand? We become pharisaical reading the scriptures when we're blaming the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Do you see this woman in Walmart? The sinner who needs a touch from Jesus. Do you see this woman in your workplace? Do you see her in the fast food restaurants? Do you see him when you go to a place and you look around the convenience store and everybody is not of the same financial demographic you are and everybody's not the same of the same race that you are and you begin to look around, Jesus is saying, do you see them? They're broken. They're hurt. They're needy. They need a savior in their life. Do you see them? Do you see this woman is what Christ is asking us. He's asking us to see through his eyes. Now I want to pick back up in verse 37 because let's talk about the woman's experience just for a minute. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at a Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Verse 44, then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my, my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, 
But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Whenever you go on a scuba diving trip, there's a time when you actually engage in the new environment that you're in. When you engage, if you're swimming on a coral reef, you begin to engage with the the creatures that are there. You begin to see how close you can get to fish and the things that are all swimming around. You get as close as you can and engage with all the things in the new environment. And that's exactly what this lady did. Maybe the issue with the church is how we engage Jesus and not how much Jesus can do for us. Maybe we've been engaging Jesus all uh, wrong all along. Listen to what, what she says, or he says, You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus' response to her is, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Listen, she didn't pray the sinner's prayer. She didn't go ask for forgiveness or anything else. In fact, she never said a word. She came into the presence of God and never said a word. She did not walk into the front of Jesus and sit down and say, Jesus, I can only imagine what it will be like. She didn't do it. She didn't walk up to Jesus and begin to declare his glory. She didn't walk up to Jesus and say anything. She knew she wasn't even worthy to speak to the Savior. So she walked in, and I believe this because I've been there before. She walked into the true presence of God Almighty, and when she walked in, she just began to, she began to weep. She began to weep, crazy weep. I'm talking an ugly cry. Y'all know what an ugly cry is. You know what I'm talking about? I've had a couple ugly cries in my lifetime. I mean, ugly cries where a tissue ain't going to have it. You've got to have a box. I mean, an ugly cry where it's not, it's, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are professional ugly criers, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's nothing wrong with having an ugly cry. Because she came to Jesus, and she began to weep before him because she encountered the presence of God. She engaged Jesus passionately. She engaged Jesus publicly. She engaged Jesus repentantly. And Jesus looked at her And I want you to find what Jesus did here. Jesus did something amazing. Jesus looked at her and he clarified who she was. He said, this woman whose sins are many. He didn't let her off the hook for her sins because she began to weep and cry. A lot of people in the church come to the front, weep and cry and have emotional relief and say, oh, God just forgave me. Did you hear the word? You're forgiven. (laughs) No, you just had an emotional experience. Notice what Jesus did. He did not downplay the issue of her sin. Jesus, still in the church today, does not downplay the issue of sin. He, in fact, looked at her and said, her sins, which are many. I know who she is. I know what she's done. Kind of like the woman at the well, he he came to her and said, I know you're not married, and the man you're with right now is not your own. You don't have one husband. You got five. He knew who she was. And as he knew who she was, he clarified her standing with him and said, her sins, which are many, get this, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. And as Jesus began to declare, her sins, which are many, they're forgiven. Jesus proves two times in this story that he knows and he judges the heart. Simon said to himself, and Jesus had something to say to him, and he rebuked him with the parable. Two people are sinners. One has greater sin than the other. Which one loves more? The one who's forgiven more. Jesus also had something to say to the woman. 
He said, woman, you're a big time sinner, (laughs) but you're forgiven. How does all this work? All this works right now we're going to find out because we're going to go into the dive deeper part of this experience. Paul, as he begins to talk in 1 Corinthians, talks about a woman. 1 Corinthians, he begins to talk about a woman, and it's chapter 11, verse number 15, where he says, the glory of a woman is her hair. The glory of a woman is her hair. And whether you, whether you think we're, we're, we should be more Bible or less Bible in the way we dress or whatever, ladies, it's still the same. The glory of a woman is her hair. That's why you spend so much money getting it cut, colored, curled, and primped, and what? I'm fixing to get an eye. <laughs> the glory of a woman is still her hair. This is why men, when they start going bald, just, just shave it off. Who cares? Women start going bald. It's like, let's get a hair bonnet, let's get a hat, let's get some. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. As Paul says, the glory of a woman is her hair. This sinner, this woman of the city, walks into one of the most religious people's house in the city, sees Jesus reclining at the table. She is in shock because this is just the culture. She's in shock that Jesus' feet are still dirty. She's in shock that he hasn't given, given oil for his head to be freshened up with. So she walks in, pulls down her hair, lets her glory down, and with the very bit of glory that she has left, the only shred of dignity that she has in her life, she begins to weep, and she kneels down with her glory and begins to wipe the feet of Jesus with the only glory that she has. Who I'm telling you, church, if we will come into the feet of Jesus with every shred of dignity that we have, with the only thing glorious that we can offer him, and lay it down and begin to weep and start wiping his feet with the glory that we have, Jesus will begin to look at us and say, your sins, my sins, which are many, they're forgiven. Oh, I pray you get that this morning. The only thing of glory that she had in her life the very best she had to offer, she began to wipe his feet with it. She began to wash his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears of repentance. She began to wash. And I love the way when you read the the, the Talmud, it's the historical Jewish books, it said she did it passionately, but it was not erotically. It was passionately, but there was no shame in it. If you read and study Jewish culture, the, some of the culture books say that if a woman were to let down her hair in front of any man but her husband's, it could be grounds for divorce. So she walked in, and with her very glory, with the pride uh, that she had as a woman, she let down her glory and began to weep and wash his feet with the most private, personal part of her life that hadn't been exposed to sinful man. She washed his feet. She washed it with his glory. As she came in, she washed his feet passionately. The Bible says to Simon, Jesus said, You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. How passionately have we gone into the presence of God? Presence of God. From the time we came in this morning, some of us didn't give Jesus the time of day. But this woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet in worship. I, I sense this all the time in the midst of when I'm preaching. And there are people up here at the altar praying. I can just sense that some people are thinking, why are they still up there praying? Don't you know he's trying to preach? That's disrespectful. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the better. From the time you came into the service, you have not ceased to leave the feet of Jesus Christ in the midst of passionately worshiping, kneeling down before him in prayer, knowing your sinful life and my sinful life, even if you lived the best you ever could this week, I promise you still messed up. And with the very shred of glory that you have left, the only dignity you can muster up, you begin to worship at the feet passionately of Jesus Christ and begin to kiss his feet. 
I'm flattered when people will stay through a whole service at the altar and pray. I pray they're praying for me. But more than that, I pray they're kissing the feet of Jesus. She did it passionately. She did it publicly. Jesus said to Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She did it publicly. She was not ashamed of who she was. She was not ashamed of her sinful life because everybody knew it. Her laundry was out there for everybody to see how dirty it was. So she didn't care. She busted up into the most religious person's house in the city and began to weep before him. And publicly, with her tears of repentance flowing, she began to wash the feet of Jesus with the only thing of glory in her life. The only thing she had to offer. Very similar to the parable of the widow's mite. That kings were coming, putting their crowns in the offering, and the widow gave the only two coins she had, and she placed them in, and Jesus stopped everything and said, Behold, this woman has given more than anyone else. Jesus can look at our great big nice buildings and our nice padded chairs and all these great things, and we can say we're doing amazing things for the kingdom of God, and we're expanding the kingdom of God. And we can say all those things because we're doing, we are doing those things. But my heart cries out that in doing all these things with the facilities that we have and the great things that we have with the worship teams and, and, the, and, and the great amount of ministries going on here, are we setting ourselves up to be Simons, not the woman? That we won't publicly worship Jesus and kneel down before him passionately and kiss his feet and in repentance, true all out, church-wide revival repentance coming I mean, I'm serious. People say, oh, pray for revival. No, pray for repentance. Repentance brings revival. When we will repent, revival will come. Are we a church that puts on a great religious show, but there's no repentance that ever takes place because we're so proud of our glory? And she did it passionately. She did it publicly. Finally, she did it repentantly. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You can research alabaster box and the ointment. It wasn't a cheap ointment. It wasn't a cheap fragrance. It was the best offering she had in her life. And as she came before Jesus, she began to anoint his feet. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, you didn't wash my feet. Very ironically, just a year or so down the line, Jesus would wash the very feet of the one who was going to send him to the cross in Judas. And so what religion wouldn't do for Jesus, Jesus was going to do for the very worst of sinners. And what Jesus did for the very worst of sinners, the worst of sinners came and paid the price and gave an offering and anointed his feet with the ointment. Some of y'all are saying, great, that's good, Pastor. That, that is an astounding revelation. That, that's an amazing thing that you just told us. But how does that relate now in the year 2014? We're not in Jewish culture. Alabaster boxes and ointments, that's not what we're going for. How do we do this now in the year 2014? Well, let's put this in modern day terms. And the Bible says this in Matthew 25, 40. And it says, and the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. Jesus isn't asking you to come into his presence and weep bitterly and to wash his feet with your hair. And he's not asking you to get ointment and rub it on his feet. He's saying when you do it to somebody else, though, who isn't worthy of it, you did it to me. You did it to me. And don't mistake this scripture with the scripture in Luke chapter 6 verse 33 where it says, And if you go and do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that for you? For even the sinners do the same. See, a lot of people in the church, we get this message and say, Okay, i got to do it for the least of these. So we start looking around the church to do it for the least in the church. No, 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 no. When you do it 
for somebody because you're doing it for, for the good or, or when you do it to the same people of you, Jesus is saying even the sinners do that because it's, it's not a cost. So I don't want us to mistake what I'm saying here and doing it for the least of these and end up being a sinner anyway because we're not doing it right. So when the Bible says in Matthew 25, go and do it for the least of these, we need to pair that with Luke 6, 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that? For even the sinners do that. This woman actually did what worship really is. Worship is love expressed. And catch this last point before I close this. You will not worship what you think is below you. You will not worship what you think is below you. Simon thought Jesus was below him. I'll prove it to you. Jesus walked into Simon's house. Simon didn't give him water for his feet. He was treating Jesus as a slave, not the son of God. Jesus walked into Simon's house. Simon did not give Jesus an ointment to, or, or oil or ointment to freshen up with. That means he didn't respect Jesus sitting at the table with him as being his equal. And then when, when, when he was supposed to give Jesus a kiss because Jesus is the honored guest that he invited to his house, he set Jesus up to play him. And he didn't kiss him. He sat him at a dinner table dirty without ointment and didn't give him the honored kiss that you honor a guest with when he came in. So Simon thought Jesus was below him. Simon also knew the sinner, the woman of the city was below him. So as the woman of the city was below him, as he thought Jesus was below him, Jesus stops everything and said, this, what you see here, she never said a word, but she did true worship. She did it publicly, she did it passionately, and she did it repentantly. Now, we love Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 1. And it talks about worshiping God. And it says, Though, uh, as you worship God, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Then you'll know what the will of God is for your life, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. And we love that. So we think if we come in and we sing a bunch of songs and we lift our hands up, that that's actual worship. Did you read the rest of Romans 12? Actual worship, going back to Matthew 25, verse 40, where you do it under the least of these, and not Luke 6, 33, where if you just do it to somebody good, you're just the same as the sinners, because the sinners do good to those who do good to them. But true worship, Jesus said, is this, and it picks up in Matthew 12, verse 14, and it says, to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Oh, Lord Jesus, did we just hear that? True worship is this. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Does worship in our church line up with what I'm reading about worship? Associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give good thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, live peaceably with all the people around you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay, says the Lord God. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good see we love romans 12 1 and 2 but to actually worship god as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing and acceptable under god to find out what his perfect will is for our life it's romans chapter 14 through 21 and i do not see even myself lining up anywhere close with those seven verses i don't see it i see lowly and i look at them sometimes and i'm like geez can't you take a shower and i'm guilty i'm guilty of not worshiping oh i can sing 
doesn't sound good all the time, but I can sing. I can lift my hands and I can kneel down and I can say, Lord, but actually doing, Lord, my call and my question to the church today is simply this. I know a lot of us, as much as we want to sit here and say, I truly worship, I truly love, I truly do these things. True worship is doing for those who cannot do for themselves like they were Jesus himself. This morning, I want to ask you this. How will you engage Jesus right now? With what you've just heard about worship and diving deeper and and having a true life change with God. I said two people can enter the same presence of God. One can have a life changing experience. One can go home the exact same. Now is your time to see whether you're going home the same or whether you're going to have an experience with God Almighty. 